good. <laughs> All right. Three, six, eight, nine. Nehemiah will get here, and hopefully, God willing and by His grace, and uh, and make a minion for us. Uh, Greg Upham is going to try and uh, follow us uh, online. I hope that. Uh, did you know Brock is some camera issues on Saturday. And yes, they were from my daughter. Oh, so that's resolved. Okay. So is that uh, lens facing the ground right now? I'm sorry. It's not actually no. It's the fisheye lens. It's. The um, <laughs> are there other questions it's about the camera it's before I can continue actually, right going on? Thank you very much. Right? <laughs> yeah, can you change the color from blue to yeah, green? Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, we hope that uh, Brock is watching from Florida. Hey, Brock. And uh, we want to say hey to Tom in Myrtle Beach. Say hey, Tom. Hi, Tom. We also want to say hi. Well, let's not make it sound like it's a, an Alcoholics Anonymous movie. The question is, yeah, is Brock and Adam coming back from We don't know. We don't know. Not just a river in Egypt anymore. Yeah. Well, we, do want, uh, we do also want to greet uh, Bill Lensmeyer and his uh, yeah, two sons. Sure you greet Rufus. You can Rufus? Tour, come in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you count Paul's writings, he's Torah. Right, a ketovemic type of reference. Um, so Bill and his sons and his wife Karen, and uh, and then finally, but certainly at the top of our list, would be the gentleman from Torah North watching online with oh. us. And if Brock's watching, so Sean and Shane are probably well. We can only hope. Although, does Shane really get time off, or is he? Once he graduated, you know, he, just got he, he, he did. When did it happen? Changed uh, engaged. Oh no, I know. But I figure he's engaged, and now. Oh. He's graduated. He's probably on his way somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I saw him saving some kittens out of trees too. He's always kidding. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of Your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of Your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of Your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know Your name and study Your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to His people, Israel. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. So a couple of uh, things I'd like to uh, bring up, if I could, before we get into our class for tonight. Uh, the first one would be, uh, of course, uh, Greg Upham uh, pretty much uh, trying to drive us uh, towards a more... appropriate Torah service and has taught each of us the blessings and the uh, propriety and the protocol for approaching the Torah, re-rolling the Torah, reading the Torah, blessing the Torah, dressing the Torah, undressing the Torah, etc., etc. And you may have noticed that this Shabbat, this past Shabbat, uh, he was quick with the Baruch Shemot. Baruch so uh, I asked him about that afterwards, and he said that every time you hear the blessing at the end of one of the blessings in the Amidah, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu, for whatever, bless you, O Lord our guide, whatever it may be, when you see when you hear Baruch Atah Adonai, you would respond Baruch Atah Hashem in this context you would respond immediately with, blessed is his name, Baruch Shemot. Which I think is the only response 
you're technically supposed to give during the Amidah. Unless you're giving the Amen during the Chazin's repetition. And there it is. So, everybody got that? Don't want you to walk in like noobs? Not realize, because I'll be doing it next time we get to you. When I was when I was in Chicago, in New York, in D.C., I never heard Where didn't that. you go? Like at those Orthodox shuls. Yeah. Just you didn't hear that? You'll have to bring that up to, to Rob Ufam. And uh, let him know that uh, you think he's, uh, he's out of whack. I think you're wrong. Yeah, I think you're wrong. I, I, I've been with the Orthodox. I, well, the Orthodox are friends of mine. And you're no Orthodox. I may have just been so confused the whole time. Yeah, I you know. Yeah, 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 never know. Yeah. All right, second thing up, if I may. As you know. Is there a... Uh, to speak. In here and people don't remember it from the Kabbat houses. What? When did you go to the Kabbat house? Brook Shema, yeah, you, you guys How went long together. ago was that? Well, it was before you went. It's memories definitely before. <laughs> I didn't know you guys ever went to a Kabbat house. Oh, yeah. Kidding me, bro? We're practically Kabbat Nikki's. <laughs> they, cool. they, they had him go back there and get the uh, Misha Bayrak Club stuff. Totally slashed. Which That's I'm only problem. going back did, there so for the Misha Bayrock. Well, I felt like there was a guy in a black coat <laughs> behind us that just consistently did <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> but like, I mean, he didn't actually say I, anything. There certainly was not a unanimous. <laughs> there certainly well, was because everyone was kind of ignoring all the prayers. You know how they kind of like just stand around and like, you don't know really what's happening. Right. Which, which happened at the conservative school as well. You hear them. You hear the cousin say, "You know, one guy." It only takes one to lead the. Path. So, but just because he was the only one keeping Torah, does that mean we shouldn't do it? Oh snap! I didn't hear you doing it this fashion. Oh, oh bro, snap! Yeah. Snap! All right, we're all going to start. <laughs> we're all going to start. Remember, this Shabbat. Is, is it the just fifth Shabbat? Or is it we like can't, every it's just So it'll, it'll sound like Baruch Atah Hashem Baruch It's much better if our cousin sings the entire thing. That's right. At least to sing the well, I'm, I'm the hoping. final blessing. Could you if, give me if one I, of these during the first like, five <laughs> right, or six yeah. of them? If, I mean, I, I could, if you guys want me to do the entire thing singing we don't. in Hebrew, then we don't. I can. We don't. Um, I didn't think wow. that people that, wanted But that. I tell you what, when, if um, the next time I get a chance to sub for you, um, who did I tell? Me. Me. You. I'm working on uh, trying to sing the Modim. Oh, yeah. You didn't tell me that. Well. Right? So I'm practicing that. But I, I do think there's, there's no reason why we can't, at least in Hebrew, do the blessing of the Lord at the end of each blessing in Hebrew. Okay. Doesn't need to be sung. But when people hear, bless you, O Lord, our God, you know, creator of the universe, you know, whatever, whatever the accolade is for that particular one, I think we should probably try and get that in Hebrew because it would make it more consistent for them to then respond with Baruch Shemo. Okay. There you go. Yes, sir. Are we doing, are, do we have time for one more small center alteration? Absolutely, sir. Because I mentioned this before to all the cousins. But everybody ignored you? But everyone ignored me. <laughs> but I keep Prepare for it. the worst it's right even, now. I thought it was only in Shulchan Ruch, but it's even in all our Sudarim. Yeah. You know, so when the cousin does like, 
Yes. The congregation repeats yes. the thing, and then you repeat what the congregation said? Yes. Well, that's supposed to happen every time that happens. So every time what happens? So the, the, the chazan should come back. The congregation says. Okay. But it says in the tiny prayer, like if the chazan is going to have like a really long, intricate tune. Yeah. For then that's what you use the right hand side? While he's singing. Bless, the praise, glorify, exalted. You did tell me that. Yeah, you did the say that. The congregation and the cousin never say that paragraph. Okay, I will, you and I will help them correct that. How about okay. that? Okay. It's so cool. You know what's neat? That's why it's not in the ladies' sitter. But if he... Well, that's why you also got... Well, yeah. Did you know that? I knew it was my ladies. So, so why are they you want, do you want that done in Hebrew or English? What? what? The, that paragraph doesn't get done. That paragraph is only done silently by everyone else if you're doing a long, intricate oh, song. Oh, oh, gotcha. Now, yeah, how, let's see how long you can get. How long can you make that? Well, can you get that whole one. paragraph out there? I've heard of Kabbalists. I've heard of Kabbalists. Hey, guys, it's not a big deal. I've heard Kabbalists who can stretch out the, the Shema 40 minutes. There it is. Yep, that's a biggie. Until yes. sunrise. Okay, sunrise. So, yes. That's thank you for that, son. We will, we will make that correction. Huh? How'd you know? Okay. And did you go until sunrise? You told me that. Oh. <laughs> okay, I guess it's right. <laughs> for my brother in the back, I am going to read a question for our quick review before our study tonight from a gentleman who joins you in absentia most of the time. Who's that? Absentia. In absentia? The Canada? It's in Ohio. <laughs> Actually, it's in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Hi, Joseph. I would like to also say thank you to you and the men of Torah. My family and I have been greatly influenced by the group's discussions, which is kind of scary if you think about it, so let's not be too jocular. We do not always agree with everything said, so they're wrong. Neither do I. But it gives us, to- <laughs> but it gives us topics for discussion in our family. But how then should we live? Side note: It seems this messianic movement is getting larger. Once in a while, we will listen to a sermon from the church we used to attend. We're curious to see if there's any change. No, they haven't changed. It's an emotion, guilt-based. Uh, preaching. (laughs) It's interesting that many of the messages continue teaching against the Torah as a way of life. You know, the law was given to show them that they can't keep it. Anyway, the reason I'm writing has to deal with living in two kingdoms. The worldly kingdom and the kingdom of God. As we continue to adjust our life at home to a more Torah life, this is the kingdom of God, 
I have to leave this home and go to work, which is the kingdom of the world. <clears throat> it's really amazing how different these two worlds are. And this is my struggle, dealing with the constant change between these two kingdoms. I know that we're not to be totally separated from the world, not that it's, it's possible anyway right now, but we're to be a light, the Torah light to the world. The problem is the worldly kingdom wants nothing to do with Torah light and God's kingdom. We really enjoy Sabbath rest. Then on the first day of the week, we work. We can work hard because we just came off our rest, but the first day of the week is still at home where there's peace. The drive into work on Monday is really hard. I have to leave this restful kingdom and go to a very stressful worldly kingdom. I'm not looking for advice, but I'd be interested in hearing from the group as to how they handle living in the two kingdoms. As you try to draw closer to Hashem, do you not feel or notice or see the kingdom of the world against you? Maybe my analogy of living in two kingdoms is flawed. Or how do you handle the stress of leaving, quote-unquote, God's restful kingdom to go to work in the worldly kingdom? Or how does being a righteous man fit into or relate to the worldly kingdom? How does being a pious man fit into or relate to the worldly kingdom? We all strive to be more like our master, but we often fail. I believe this is where grace comes in. Maybe the struggle is part of the process of becoming more like our master, kind of being born again, the struggle of the baby from the womb. As I look back, there was a time when stuff in the world didn't bother me, but now it does, and I have to learn how to deal with it. Thanks for listening to my rambling. <clears throat> so let's talk about that. How do you deal with it? Is, is he right? Is there, a, is, there, is there two different kingdoms? Is there two different worlds? What do you got? Um, I kind of see it all as the same. Um, mostly okay. because... That was completely indefinite pronoun references, so okay, please fine. try it. Yeah. Um, I don't see that as two separate kingdoms. Really? Uh, not, not, in like, not in the workplace versus home. Okay. I would kind of say that if there, there is a battle between the kingdoms, but the battle between the kingdoms can happen at home as well. I mean, it happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I sort of see it's like you, as, as a man of integrity, as someone who's trying to live righteously regardless, I really love, there was one comment in Mesla Isharim, um, maybe last time, that really stood out to me, and it, maybe it was this time. It was talking about the idea that, like, if you are truly seeking Hashem, rather than finding the challenges of this world to be discouraging and to be frustrating and hurtful, you actually are excited because it gives you an opportunity to demonstrate just how much you love God because you will overcome this difficulty, whatever it may be, in the service of God. Good. So Good. I sort of see, like, work as actually, like... <coughs> I don't know, a really good opportunity to serve God. If I did nothing all day but read, I don't think that it would... I, my life would right. not be that so, productive. So Here's let me the, see if I can, I can summarize. This is good. So you don't see it as much as leaving the one kingdom and going to the other kingdom and having to come back, but rather, I'm in this present world, the uh, uh, Olam oh, Hazeh, right. and that includes my home. <laughs> However... Exactly. By and large, you rule that roost there and keep it, for the most part, I would assume, to be more in line with God's word. Sure. So you're seeing more of a, the battle's always on, it's just perhaps easier at home. Maybe yes? easier or just different. I mean, like the battle at home is a lot more on an interpersonal and on a thought-related level. Like you're, you're dealing with how do you approach your family, because you can be too comfortable and you can get in trouble with like your temper, or get in trouble with pride, right. or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Let's not so, get too deep, but I get it. So that's that's pretty much where we're coming from. Yeah, I like that. Somebody else, Pete. Let's have someone else first. I got to think. 
I, I agree. Um, I think it's, it's um, like with me, I used to struggle with that too. Um, not saying that it's two different kingdoms, but just um, when you're around people who are uh, Torah observant, um, it's easier uh, sure. to um, walk the behave walk. in a righteous manner. Sure. All right. So it's when, expected. You're, when you're around others, you know, uh, who don't live up to that and who may even, uh, who are atheists, for example, right. you they know, have no have no respect for uh, scripture, yeah. you know, and I mean like militant atheists. I don't mean yeah. somebody who's just kind of wavering, you know, um, somebody who's chosen yeah. definitely to Argue. be against it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what I like about uh, this portion, this chapter on humility is like the ability to uh, absorb the blows, you know, without Good. it bothering wow. you. Yeah. You know, because we know uh, just through the Messiah himself, you know, he said it. He said, the world hated me. Marvel not. They're going to hate you. It's going to hate you. So we already know that this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that's what I love about this section on humility is like to be able to take that. You know, my distill muscle is when people start talking about the word of Elohim is when I kind of get a little bit yeah. blood boiling. Mm -hmm. Got to walk away a little bit. Yeah. But you right, know, so, on a personal level. Yeah. So to, to summarize, I got you. So summarize that boil it down, you're with Joshua and Nehemiah, mm -hmm. that it's not really two kingdoms, this is the kingdom of darkness, mm -hmm. I'm here, mm -hmm. I'm a servant of the Holy One, blessed mm -hmm. is he, and I'm going to go ahead and do right mm -hmm. everywhere, mm -hmm. and do the best I can, and the battle may be more fierce when I'm at work, mm -hmm. but it's still a battle. Mm -hmm. I like your comment that it's easier to walk the walk when you're with the righteous. Mm -hmm. This is true. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I am convinced now. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to walk the walk and you are not in community, yeah. <clears throat> man, you, you need more of the grace of God than any man I know because it <laughs> yeah. is hard as all get out. Yeah. I got you, then I got you. Take it. So the first thought I had was um, regarding going into dark places and... Elevating those particular situations or those actual places to a level of holiness, none was better than the Baal Shem Tov. He was a master for looking like a commoner, but he was anything but. So for the first part of his life, that's pretty much all he did was go into bad, rough, run-down situations where his fellow Jews were and taught them how to serve God Amidst. In their circumstances, one of the examples that I've shared previously is with these innkeepers that he goes and Elijah appears to him and says, you know, some of the best examples of a hidden tzaddik, a hidden righteous person you're going to find is at that inn. So he says, okay, I will go to that inn and I will see who's there. He goes there and it's just this, this couple They're All they're doing is just busy working all day long. They don't have a time for prayers. Um, Actually, I'll, I'm going to shelf that story and go to a better one. So there's a story of this one man who works all day long to provide for his family. He is a, a uh, I think it's like a, a miner or a, a logger or something like that, backbreaking physical work. And that's all he can do. So he tries his best to be a good Jew. He, he goes to shul in the morning. He's got to zip through his prayers. He reads the Hebrew. He doesn't really get it. Uh, he doesn't understand what he's praying a lot of the time. 
but he zips Sounds through like it. Um, meanwhile, there's the, the town uh, Torah scholar who's there as well. So you have this one logger who he just be- breaks his back all day long in working to try to provide just a meager amount for his family. It's barely anything, though. It's, it's you know, just a tiny little amount. But he's very, he tries his best. Um, but there's the town Torah scholar who he's given an allowance every week, and he just sits and studies the Torah. He gets meals. He gets to pray for hours very slowly, intentionally. One day, the, the man, you know, he's hurrying back from home, uh, back from work, the, the logger. He stops by shul, and he wants to just pray uh, Ma'ariv, because he says, you know, I want to be faithful, I want to be with the people of God, so I'm going to go to shul and pray Ma'ariv. So he goes and he prays Ma'ariv, but he's got to get home because he's got to go provide for his family. And meanwhile, uh, as he's on his way home, he sees the Torah scholar passing in the other direction. And the Torah scholar is walking very tall, shoulders back, head held high, very Doesn't calm. that uh, ring home after reading this chapter? Yeah. So the uh, as the Torah scholar is walking by this man, he sees him, and he just kind of gets this grin on this this smug kind of arrogant grin on his face, like that sucks. Glad I'm not that. And as the the logger is walking by, and he's looking at this Torah scholar, and just everything in his nefesh is like, man, such so a this huge sign is like, wouldn't that be the life? And they just pass by each other. Time comes, they both die, they stand before judgment, the Torah scholar goes first. He's standing before the tribunal of the angels, and he's got this long list, you know, I prayed, I daven three times a day, I daven slowly, intentionally, with Kavanah, the Vichut, and I, tore, I studied Torah all day, and they're about to, they're looking at each other like, this guy's good, they're about to just, you know, hit the gavel down of, you know, his, his good works are clearly outweighing his, his uh, bad works. So, but all of a sudden, in rushes this angel, with just a, a little box. And he's like, wait, hold on, hold on. I have a, another piece of evidence, the last piece of evidence. They open the box. There's that grin that he had towards that guy. And they said, okay, well, let's weigh the grin. Put it on the grin. The scales immediately flips. And he goes to Gehenna because of that. Um, all because of his smug grin against this, this poor Jew. So wow. then you have, um, in walks the poor Jew. And he stands before the tribunal, like, all right, present your case. And he's like, I don't really know Hebrew that well. Um, I had to zip through the prayers a lot. I didn't really, I didn't study, get to study the Torah at all uh, because I had to work all day. Um, so that's, that's pretty much all I got. And they're like, okay. Uh, so, but all of a sudden, in rushes this angel with a little box. He opens the box, and there's that sigh, the desire for the, being the Torah scholar. They put that on the scale, and it shifts oh. it the other way. So then he is immediately rushed into the world to come because of that desire. So uh, the point of the story is, you may not be there. Uh, you may have to do things that you don't like to do because you exist in this world, which is a world of concealment. Uh, Hashem is here, everywhere. All his, uh, Hashem is all, but he's not. He's, he's obviously, in order for everything to exist, he can't be known. So there's an opportunity that we have, regardless of it's really small or really big, and any sphere, uh, it's all one sphere, that whether home or work, it's all just different levels of concealment to elevate that to the level of godliness. Mm-hmm. And the story of the guy, uh, the logger, shows that you don't have to do very much to do it. Amen. Well done. <laughs> Colby. 
I feel like in church, like the answer is always Jesus or something. Yeah. And now in Judaism, the answer is always just Hashem or God. Um, <laughs> but like work, work life or home life, they're not really separable. Like, um, I I just like returned a little message from a guy who bought like a little four dollar hand cream from me, and we had like a two like really long messages, and he just like poured out his life to me. And I was like, dude, not only is this a little weird, but um, but it was just it was just really really interesting. Um, and what I was gonna say, it's kind of along the same lines of like concealment, but this past week's tour portion said it was like come to Paro, so like like Bo, mm-hmm. and so the sage is like, so why didn't he ask, why didn't he say, like, come with me to Paro? Why didn't he say, go to Paro? And the uh, end of the story was essentially the commentary said that come to the very midst, like, the inner chamber of evil. Come to, like, Pharaoh's palace, because ultimately, like, Moshe had met Pharaoh out the Nile or at other places, but he said, come to Paro, come to the very inner chambers of evil, and I will show you that evil doesn't exist. The whole thing's a hoax. And um, and it was talking about, like, just concealment and how Hashem's always concealed. Um, I have to work through my thoughts more on this one, but... Keep spilling, man. It's good so far. Yeah, there is, um, I guess, just the, the two worlds. There's I've never really seen, like, a difference between work or home. It's like you're always on. Because mm-hmm. if somebody said something to you at work, well, Hashem could have made them sick that morning, but he didn't, and they came to work because Hashem wanted you to deal with this. Um, or Hashem could have, like, let's say you made a mistake, Hashem could have let somebody not see that, um, but he did let him see that, and so now, like, everything is, like, him. Yeah. Mm. So okay. it's all, it's all just one. So let me see if I can summarize your thought uh, with regard to the two kingdoms was along the lines of one kingdom, we're doing the work of the Lord and doing the best we can and having the desire to draw close at all times maybe the best we can do. And we do the best we can and God will reward the man for that. Amen. But again, along the lines of our study this week, to look down upon someone who cannot um, and, and to presuppose that you are better than them because you're studying more or because you've mm. got better halakha or because this or whatever it may be a is be. a terrible place to be. And if I could summarize, uh, your idea would be that, again, not two different kingdoms, one kingdom, and we're going to influence everybody we can, whether we're selling them hand cream or we're just seeing them at work, or perhaps we're not seeing them at work, but we know that Hashem is in control, and He is the judge of all the earth, and He does not allow anything to happen unless it's for our ultimate good. And if He chose to not have this person come to work, that's not something for us to look down on the person about, but to thank God for and to see what we're to learn through this incident. Amen. Mm. Did you sell your hand cream through your hardware store? You did. Anybody else? Well, it's so. <laughs> Sissy Woods. Yeah. Gregory. Well, I in in hearing that it's it's kind of hard to relate because you don't I, live in this world. Well, no, I, I don't really have a job that is very stressful, and I guess I never really have. And so, I'm I'm just going to assume for a second that 
It is really stressful. Like I, whatever he I'm, does, I'm getting this. Like, he works in a, uh, I think, in like a mill, and I get the impression that um, having having talked to him before, that there's perhaps a lot of profanity, mm-hmm. a lot of ungodliness, mm-hmm. the coarse jesting, etc. It's just not a place where he would want to be, nor a place where he would want to, his son to be, who's also there. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and he, he sees such a dramatic difference between this wholesome place of learning at home and this God-forsaken place at work. Does that help? Oh, yeah, help that actually helps a lot. I, I guess I was picturing like Wall Street stockbroker, like stressed. I don't like, think so. No. Okay, yeah. mill work. I mean, just yeah. rough guys that you work with, just because that I guess that is a little bit easier to deal with. Because I was thinking he was getting so distracted by work that he didn't have any time to think about the things of God or to to meditate on like a verse yeah. of scripture yeah. or something. It, I don't I don't know that the okay. vertical market is as important as there's so much pressure to get the work done, regardless of what it may be. The the pressure to perform, the pressure to accomplish the tasks. The, the amazing stress of the whole environment is, I mean, the whole thing is very stressful for me. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Just because, like, I think it's, it's, I feel it's easy for me because I don't have a very stressful environment to kind of, like, think throughout the day of the verse in Deuteronomy that God is the one that enables us to get to wealth. Get wealth. Deuteronomy yeah. 8.10, I believe. No, that's the no? 8 and That's 8 and Where is it? Deuteronomy 8? It's, it's, it's an a eight, chapter I think. somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. It's early chapters of Deuteronomy. Yeah, yeah. But I, because that is, it's so helpful to remember that because then you don't see it as like different, like everyone's saying. You know, it is the same. You're, it's just a different type of service. Huh. I mean, it's, it's like that's wow. your, at, at that moment, that's your act of worship right. towards God. What is a like great working. perspective. Yeah. And, yeah. but again, that would be really hard if you've got like a lot of, of external pressure because one of the sure. things that he brings up in this chapter is one of the biggest deterrents of humility is being distracted and having or being an authority yeah well yeah that one that one too but it was something like you know having like stress or or anxiety Mm -hmm. about like stuff that's going on Mm um anyway so that that's one thing but then the other thing is like i being the uh you know taking the advice from like the seven habits of highly effective people and being proactive about what you speak about and the things that get spoken about in your general vicinity has proven to be pretty helpful for me because I do work with some profane people as well. But if I'm the first one to ask a question, they know me and they know me well enough to not respond sure. in a way that would be offensive at yeah. all. And we, and we should hope that all of us have that effect on everyone around us. Right, yeah. And, and so like that, that would just, as like a little practical note, being the instigator of conversations you know, even if it's something that... Rather maybe, than a lurker. Exactly. Rather than letting the conversation just happen all around you, which is just inevitably going to be wicked and profane, sure. just sort of being the one to maybe throw out a question, like, hey, did you guys read that in the news or yeah. something like Does that? Does God care what we eat? Yeah. Well. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, but... No, that's, I, think that's, I think that's great counsel and, and, a, and a proactive step that he can take that may affect his view of where he is. That's good. That's good. Last comments. Anybody? I want to go to humility because I've got some questions. Okay. Good. Sit. Speaking of like humility, it just it really brings me to my knees. Like when I see like people that work like physical labor, like I drive by a lot of construction yeah. people a lot, and they're out yeah. there like four thirty, 
And and all I do is we say like Brukashim because I would fail. Like I would fail every day. <laughs> like one, I'm too much of a wimp. I probably wouldn't get up in time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, w- I wouldn't make it. And and just like it just really brings me to reality how strong like those people are. It's just like salt of the earth. Amen. And I live in this just bubble of air conditioning. Yeah, it's amazing though because like you still hear, I still hear all the time like, oh, it's a little chilly in here, or ah, I am so hot in here, and I just think to myself of all the construction, there's a blizzard that we're providing equipment to. And it's like, yeah, the dude just probably got like three pairs of gloves on just so he doesn't get frostbite before he goes home. That's right. And he was out of bed and at the job site before you even thought about waking up. Right. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of working with men like that in my, in my younger years. Construction's crazy, man. And yeah, construction. I didn't last very long. And I tell you what, I realized right away, they're they're a better man than me. No question about it. Better man than me. And it goes back to the logger. Who's you know busting his butt and uh, and doing what he can? Okay, so um, instead of trying to go page by page and walk through this, I think uh, these thirty or so pages were pretty clear on humility. Uh, that's anava, I think, is it? Yes, mm-hmm. and um, what it is, how we can get it, and what those steps are. So um, let's just jump in. You can jump in at any point where. Where you, where you were interested, where you didn't get it, where you thought it was dramatically different from what you thought it was, anything like that, that's what we want to hear. Joshua, chomping at the bit, talk to us about humility. Well, I want to talk about it because I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Um, I read through the, the one, the humility chapter in the Everyday Holiness book. Yeah, and it totally, which was like last week or something. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was it's where it starts, right? That's it, the first, it totally first run. blew my mind in terms of rethinking humility yeah. because his whole focus was on thinking accurately about yourself, yeah. which is not necessarily balanced. It's Filling just, your space. It's just honest. It's like you might, you might actually be a really crummy person, and you know that. But either, or maybe, you know, a decent person, you know that too. But either way, it's like it's just thinking accurately. This chapter, to me, and it, again, what I find is that the, the author is usually trying to make a point. So he's very strong and very firm in his point. Um, you talking about Ron Call? Or Ron Call. Yeah. Ron Call, he's almost a little extreme. Right. And I feel like, based on my very many years in a very conservative Christian church, I go monk mode when I read through the book. So I'm, I'm thinking I may be not hearing him correctly, and I want to ex- explain this. My understanding of this chapter seemed to say that humility was basically thinking you're, you're useless, like you're, you're, you're a crummy person, you don't deserve praise, have your head down, don't, don't try to draw attention to yourself. Like it's really like a low, like no self-esteem kind of, that's the yeah. goal. And I would respond back immediately and say that I got the idea that he was trying to make it clear that humility is having a correct perspective of who we are. Which is just bad. And we use Hashem as that measuring stick. That He is the one who's provided the fact that I can sit and talk to anybody at any time. It doesn't matter how many people in the room. But that doesn't mean that I should be praised for that. I'm maybe not even doing it as well as He made me to do it. But it's Him that should get the praise for that. But then on the flip side, I should look at those things that I'm not good at, that he may also have enabled me to do that I'm just choosing not to do or I'm not good at. 
So I think it's exactly what you said out of the Holiness book. It's an accurate representation of who I am, but not from my perspective to say, okay, I'm a gregarious fellow, but, you know, let's not go over the top with that, but rather, what did Hashem do? So that focus, again, since the whole goal is closeness with Hashem, is, okay. is where, where's, where's He looking at me from? Yeah, I made you to be that way, so that, or the wealthy man. I destined that you would be wealthy. Why? So that you could boast in your wealthiness? No. So that you could help those who aren't wealthy. I'm going to use you as my arm to spread the wealth to those that I choose to spread it to, and so forth. So I just maybe just a different look, you know, from a, a different perspective at that thing. I hope we'll get more of that as we go around. Go ahead, Gregory. And just to respond to what you were saying is I think the one the chapter before this is on saintliness. So obviously this is something he's basically writing this to someone who was right before this, who would be a saint, which is already very high up there. And she's reading the Catholic have, version. I they would have an well, yeah, I know, right? This yeah. is my English. Yeah. Um, they would have an accurate response to, to all of those things, to like quote that famous passage about like I'm a putrid drop, you know, I'm going right. back to dust right. and maggots. Their their first thought upon hearing that truth about themselves would be like, Well, how, how do I do better than that? Yeah, okay, so that's what I am right now, but like, like how do I get well, better? Yeah, exactly. You know, instead of like, oh, if that's all I am, then well, like, I'm just I guess crap. I'm just gonna stay that way. And, yeah. I'm just going to mope about it. You know, like that's, I think that's the point is like, if anything, it's supposed to inspire you to action. It's, it's a motivator. Exactly. You know, because some certain people are motivated by different things, but I think a saint of all people or a, a very righteous person. Is pious, just, I think. A pious one. Yes. Thank you. Yes. A, a, a chassid, Hope, pious. A yes. would be motivated by like thinking, by being at that level and then having the realization that they are nothing. Still. That would be like super motivating to like do even better than they were before, yeah. which is the point. So, but someone like me who reads this, like, yeah, it, it's easy to go, oh my goodness, I might as well stop trying. <laughs> like this is so, I, I, I so I, I feel you there, but like I just, it's helpful to put it into perspective because our response should also be to action. Like it's like, Amen. wow, yeah, I, I am literally worthless, but yeah. how do I like change that? Yeah. Help me, Hashem, like turning to Him, and like I, you know, I love that uh, His perspective on that that verse about like you know the this all the sacrifices are a broken heart, and how He's basically saying spirit. like you know you bring one burnt offering, that's what you did, you brought a burnt offering, but you have like one moment of humility or one act of a broken heart. It's as if you, you got, did them all. You did all. Of you, the got the minka, you got the minka. You got the And that's just that's such a, an amazing thing, and I think that's like sort of the point. It's like get to that. Yeah. Place of brokenheartedness, well, where you, there is nothing left for you to do, but you just have to ask Hashem to do something. Amen. And it's just back to the logger, right? To that side that yeah. I I do really want to do more. Good, yeah. excellent. Other comments? Go ahead. Um, I take it back. To, uh, I always I always kind of take it back to like the writings of the apostles, and it always kind of praise God to me when I see it. And um, what I like about it is. It it kind of ties into like what we spoke about earlier about his, the gentleman's question. Yeah. Um, like we're just vessels. We're just vessels, you know. And everything that we do is for Hashem. I mean, you know, everything that we do is for Hashem. And maturity is taking a you know taking a while to kick in. 
But it ain't about me. To do, whether we're going to work, whether we're, you know, da, 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 it's it's about allowing him to flow through us. In all you know, that you and, do, and, and, do yeah, it unto him. And the way the way Paul put it was, you know, you were bought at a price, you know, and don't you realize that your body is a temple and a living yeah, holy sacrifice. Yeah. And so it's it's like realizing that, um, and in Malachi, uh, the Most High says it a little bit different. He's like, why does he make two one, right? Because he seeks a righteous seed in the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like we're, everything that we do is for the world to come, Amen. no matter what it is. Here we know? are in the vestibule. Yeah, we're, we're in this, you know, and it's, he's working through us. And what did, where did I stand on that, you know? He's in control, Amen. you know, not me. And that's the hard part is to get the me. Yeah, I, I think that whole idea and everything here in America that we're raised to believe that it's all about me and it's what I'm going to do. And it's that American dream that I can be all that I can be or that I need to create myself yeah. as something special is, is a lie. It's not about me. It's about him and reflecting him and his light throughout all the world, that others may come to know him and that he might be glorified. Good. Cool. Yes, sir? One thing that I think stood out to me a lot, because I have thought of this before, um, I like the idea he talks about, um, he quotes, if you have learned much Torah, this is Rabbi Yochanan mm. Benzakai, oh, okay. Avot 290, yeah. if you have learned much Torah, do not take credit for it, for you are created to do so. And what I love about that whole little section is, I think, um, I mean, I'm take myself out of the equation right now. The men in this room blow me away, like, regularly, simply because of the fact that I've never been around more than, like, one or two other guys in, like, a, an audience of 200 yeah. that were anywhere close to these guys. So to have a room of 10 it's is phenomenal. Yeah. So it's like, but at the same time, it's like, I think when, when you think about that, it could be kind of easy to kind of pat yourself on the back and be like, yeah, look at us. Like, we're studying. We know, we know so much scripture. We Go can team. Spend, we can spend our study time studying, like, the commentary on scripture because we've already got the scripture down. You know, we've read the Torah portion how yeah. many times now? And then it's like, no, actually, if you're any good at this at all, if like it even makes sense to you, that's just because God let it. That's right. Like it's, that's, you can't claim credit for that's, that. That's yeah. that's what He made you to do. Right. Wow. He mentions uh, he quotes Yochanan ben Zakkai twice, I think, in this chapter, and both times it's just hit out of the park. It is so cool. And I thought, well, it's it's studying the oral Torah if we go back and read about him, so we could do the the weird Kaddish thing. But if we get the chance to do, um, if we. Ma'ari. Here without discussing the world tour, what have we done? What have we done? But I think also it should also serve as something of an inspiration. I think because you were saying earlier, like what has God made you to do, as opposed to taking it as credit to myself and feeling good about myself. Yeah. But to look at it and go, like if you look at the gifts that God's given you, it's like, whew, man, I got to do more with this. Like, like if this, like if God gave me this, yes, sir. then that carries with it responsibility. Like it's not something that I earned, and it's like, whew, man, I'm doing better than everybody else. It's more like. Wait, I got the I got like the edge. I got an advantage yeah. over my he, like uh, over like the what person I could have been. Yeah. So how can I use this more? He talks about those in authority and and harkens back without saying it to James, of course. Um, but that burden of responsibility that you have, and it's so much more that we need to do. And that's why it's better to say, you know, I don't really want the authority. Yeah, get that out of there, and we don't want to be in the limelight, as it were. So, 
There's a, a really famous Hasidic story, a uh, true story, about uh, Dove Burr when he was a child. Dove <laughs> Burr? He was one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's um, way back when, a couple generations ago. He was a child, and then, well, I guess he was getting a little bit older, like maybe early. Anyway, he's like pretty much perfect um, in every way, doing all the correct things. And then his dad sends him to some town or something to learn from some guy. I forget all the specifics of the story. But there's another um, uh, uh, chassid there who is not doing so well. And he's he's constantly kind of like um, uh, arguing with Dover. Mm. And um, Dover's kind of like, what's, what's the problem here? And the guy's like, um, like, you're so, um, you're so prideful um, in your position, but you look at you, your dad was like the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Yeah, so, so what would we expect? Right, so the soul that he must have brought down w- when he was with his wife has got to be like the most incredible soul. <laughs> and you were raised in his house. Now I am the son of like a shoemaker. And he, he works like 3-3 three, three or something like that. You know, it's like absolutely ridiculous. And, and I... Um, who knows what he was thinking about, you know, when I was created. And the soul I brought is all damaged. You know, it's just disgusting. And, and I have to <laughs> do this and this and this. And I never, I have to get up at like 2 in the morning and I have to skip morning prayers every single morning. Just so I can feed my family. And um, the brother goes back home and is like weeping. And he goes to his dad and he's like, Dad, this guy, this guy told me like how special I am. And I realized that um, I've only been living up to like 14% of my potential. Like I have such a, such a... Like a head start. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's, that's really the whole point of humility yeah. is, and that's why we keep measuring with our yardstick with Hashem, Amen. is that everything you have is just kind of like, look how much potential you have. I always relate it to myself and like, with the piano and everything, because I um, am very, I have a lot of talent with the piano, but I never practiced. And so I always think to myself, well, what could I have been if I had actually practiced with this gift? But I didn't. And so then you have the person who's been practicing, they're at a lower level than me, technically, right. but, they've, but they've been practicing their whole life. So they're like, there's the humble person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I always think about. I hope you're not my age and you lament how little you've practiced. I don't know. Yeah. It's tricky to practice without it. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's it I is. Uh, <laughs> door's always open. Yeah. You know the combination. <laughs> we, we left the piano bench there, you know, with your butt imprint there in it. So, yes, sir. Well, this, uh, the, one of the biggest things I feel like out of this chapter these two chapters that kind of hit me was just how this all relates to work. Yeah. You know, because like you were saying about the authority, like that, I, I definitely got convicted by that because recently I've been thinking more about being a team lead and being yeah. management yeah. In, in management somehow. And I even mentioned that to my manager recently. And this caused me to examine my intention for that because I do, I mean, the intention... I, I thought for a minute that like, oh, well, it made sense because now if I had more people that were underneath me, I'd be able to do more things and you know, therefore it would benefit the company. Sure. You know, 
But I, I mean, really, that I, I shouldn't work towards that though, because like if that is the case, then it would happen by itself. If the company itself recognizes that it would benefit the company by adding more people underneath me, then I don't need to be like all in everyone's face, being like, "Hey, hire people underneath me," you know, you know. And and it just it hit me that like uh, Simon Sinek is this guy's got some great thoughts about leadership, and one of the things he talks about is how leadership is inherently sacrificial and anyone in any position regardless of how low on the totem pole they are can be a legitimate leader now some people have leadership roles some people look like they have leadership but they don't really have leadership and he his qualifications of leadership were really cool and most of them dealt with how sacrificial you are how yeah. much how much help you give people yeah. and when you see it from that perspective then you you do exactly what he did which is like Oh, I feel like I help enough. I don't even want to be like a manager because that would mean I would have to help like however many times more than I I am right now, yeah. you know. And and it just made it just putting it in that perspective kind of made me think of like a couple people that I know that didn't really pursue management roles, but they they were basically given them presented them yeah presented them because of their character right. and because of the efforts that they made within the company. And yeah. I feel like. That is is a cool way of it happening. Yeah. It, is when it's been, it's it's kind of like earned, not necessarily like um, pursued, right? In a sense, because he's I mean, he has that really strong analogy to like the adulterous woman, you know, and, and all that in yeah. terms of like pursuing any type of authority, which exactly. really really hit me. It's scary. So I, I like I like what you're saying, you know, and I, and I think about work, you know, and being a. Uh, you know, being a team leader, and it, in the end, the fact that you were a team leader and you had all these people working under you and all, they should be your best. What? Reflection. Exactly, just like children, right? So if they're the best reflection of who you are and who you represent and how you represent yourself, then you need to look. Are the people working under you and, you know, some major sales organization, just these cutthroat guys who'll do anything to get the deal done and where, hey, we hit the number and all that. Or are the people that work under you reflecting who you should be reflecting? It's an amazing thing. Um, but to your point, um, I know a man that was uh, selected for jury duty. And when he went to jury duty, he did everything to answer honestly to get out of it. But they selected him anyway. And then it turned out to be some kind of uh, you know, major trial thing uh, with you know, a gun and all kinds of intent and motive and killing and robbing and all of that. And when the jury was then sent to the jury room, uh, the jury had to select a jury foreman. And I, I think it's telling who gets to be the jury foreman and why. Is it the charismatic guy? Is it the guy who cares for the rest of the jurors? Is it the brainy guy? Is it the superstar? Who is it? Never the brainy guy. We should, we should look and think, who should be chosen the juror? It's a position of authority, but there's no authority. It's only to gather the words. 
but I believe that our action and love reflecting the Holy One, blessed is He, to others should cause others to want to make us the jury for it. I just think that's how it should be. Why wouldn't the Jew be chosen as a jury for him? Think about it. If he's reflecting Hashem, one would think it'd be a shoo-in. Shouldn't be even shouldn't be a vote. Chosen. Exactly what happened. Yeah. That was my question here, though. The whole authority thing was a little bit confusing for me. I I mean, he made some really good points, as he usually does. But I was a little bit confused because I feel like, for example, Saul, who's called to be king, is dinged big time for not stepping up to claiming his authority. He's, he's extremely humble when he gets named king. He runs and hides behind the luggage. And then later, he, uh, when he gets in trouble, like, or I say luggage, that's one of the translations, but anyway, he hides somewhere, right? And then he, um, he gets in trouble. <laughs> uh, he, he has some guys who critique him, who are like, refuse to send him gifts, and they mock him for being king or whatever. And he says he doesn't do anything about it. And the sages nail him big time on that point. They say as king, he absolutely had to protect the dignity of his office. And, and so I guess when I'm reading through this, it's like, I'm wondering about this one because as, you, as you're pointing out, if we take his points practically, then we should never look for positions of authority. That would mean that like, if there's a position open at work, I don't even apply for it because I don't want that position. That makes it very difficult to move forward in your career if you can never have anybody under you. That's exactly right. That was the thought that I kept having. Is like, right, so there, I know so many men that never applied right. for additional positions. Right. They were so, given them so let's, because of their character, let's, because of their efforts. Let's talk about this. Right. They, they offer the job and say, I know you didn't put your name in for this, but I think it'd be really good for this. And I think it'd be really good for the company if you were to take this. Or, you know, I imagine at, at your point in life, you're probably looking for another job to make some more money or whatever, because you need to move up so that you can provide more for your family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're going to create a position for you if you'd like to stay kind of thing. Certainly, it's better than constantly knocking on the president's door and looking for the next job and the next opportunity. Um, but I'm saying it doesn't mean that you don't have initiative for that, right? Uh, I, let's talk about That's it. What I'm asking. Let's, let's talk yeah. about it. I do think you ding Saul unnecessarily. The sages ding Saul, if I'm not mistaken, because when he was already in authority, well, there's debate. He didn't step there's up. debate about his and ability I, beforehand. There's yeah. some sages who say it was okay, and some sages who say it was wrong. All right, so we're always going to get sages on either side. <laughs> but I, I think the issue of what if you're a king, you're now in the authority, and you do have to fill the role. Okay. Right. So I don't. I don't want to go there. I, I think he was wrong in that aspect. Um, to not seek it out, I think is is I think where he's coming from. Now, how does that how does that jive with, you know, these guys who are trying to forget me, these guys who are trying to move up in the world so they can provide more for their family? Right, that's is the move up your responsibility or is it Hashem's? Well, where's that balance? Both. Are you? It's it's, it's, it's both while. end, not yeah. either or, right? That it's both end. That little story in, um, was it Light of the Ages, where he's talking about, I think it's there, where he's talking about um, the angels, like, God, this guy, uh, he wants to win the lottery. He, he keeps praying to win the lottery. He's like, well, he can win the lottery, but first he's got to buy a ticket. So, <laughs> Right, but it, we are working. Like, that's, there's a difference the between, like, working and then, like, working. Right, but what if your manager's terrible and doesn't ever recognize you for what you want to do? That's are, not up then to Then that's you. actually good. That's up to According Hashem. to this. Well, that's right. not true. Well, the reason why I'm asking so is to, because... To, if there's a position open, 
there's still the initiative to actually apply for that position or inquire about it. But you just mentioned the boss. The boss is not up to you. The boss is put over you by Hashem for your good. That's hard, to, that's hard to believe. Which is why you could always go to the boss and say, hey, I want to be a reflection of you, so what do I need to do? get that feedback as to where do I need to improve, to change, to whatever, so that I am ready for when that good. opportunity well, Right, because my question, I guess, is... Um, because, I mean, you could sit, you could, I mean, theoretically, and I don't know if we would go that far or not, you could argue maybe not to knock on the guy's door all the time and ask him for a promotion. Okay, it's, that's one perspective. But this seems to be taking it to, the, to almost like an extreme level where it's like you almost refuse to take authority positions. They offer you a job to have authority, and you're like, no, no, that's not me. I don't want that role. Yeah, I don't know that he went quite that far if it were offered. Yeah, but you don't, I, I think his focus was not to seek it out. But you right. shouldn't desire authority because there's more responsibility with it and it's going to bring you into the limelight and it's tougher to be hum- humble in that situation. But then you be it's for not it. that you can't do it. It's that it's harder to be humble. Mm. Oh, this is tough. It's a scary thought, though. It is. Like, because there's, quite there's frankly, a lot of jobs you can't get paid any higher than X if you don't have people under you. Well, then maybe so you've got to have people under you. I mean, that's not, it's not, the point I don't think he's making is you can't move up in your company. Right. He said you shouldn't try to move up your company. You shouldn't seek authority because if you do and you're given it, it is harder to be humble. Because you could rephrase that by saying, like, well, I need to get this job in order to make that much. Like, but that, that's a complete lack of faith in Hashem. We could look at it that way. I mean, because like, Hashem is the one that determines our income. Hashem is the one that determines how much wealth we get. And it might not even be from that particular job that we get the wealth that we're supposed to get. I mean, you just never know. You never know. But I think to, to Isaac's point, there is a balance. And I think uh, to well, Taylor's the point, there's got to be a balance that, you know, he may be expecting you to step into the opportunity. You know, he opens the door and is expecting you to walk through it. If God opened the door, who are you to say, hey, you know, I'm not, I, I can't, I shouldn't right. do that. Opportunities you know? call. But at the end of the day, the power of specifically knock, knock. riches and says, like, toil for riches is, is not good. Correct. And, I, and I don't... excellence probably is good. Exactly. So if so excellence is skilled in his work... He will what? He will what? Oh, well, then how will he do that? Exactly. Wow. That means he's skilled in his work. That's like Hashem was able to bless him through that. But where was he standing? You don't take the plumber and stick him before the king. He right. gets promoted right. and he stands before the king. So, yeah. so it's, it's, the promotion is not the problem. It's yeah. maintaining the humility and recognizing if you got the promotion, it's yeah. because God allowed it to happen. Johnny? The quintessential biblical model of this is Joseph. It was in his humility that you know, he was always recognizing that Hashem is the one who interprets dreams, and you know, and, and this leadership position was given to him. But even prior to this, everything he put his hand to, he prospered at. Well, I, I would, I would argue that everything he put his hand to was for the sake of others. But and. God caused it to prosper because his his uh, first boss Potiphar, Potiphar he recognized that God was with him 
and that he was being blessed because this guy worked for him. So Potiphar clear, I mean, uh, Yosef was clearly working and doing his best for this guy. Yeah, and as so. you said, yeah. God blessed him for it and moved him up. Sure. Or get that blessed, it was blessed him. Yeah. But I, but I think it's important here because sure. right. the attitude you're was right. not, I'm doing this so Potiphar will, you know. Absolutely. Right? He, he, was, you know, he came from a position of just base servitude. And he was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do this in humility. I'm, I'm going to be the best jail guard there's been. Yeah, and even before that, yeah, now I'm going to straighten up the house and, and, and get everything. And, exactly. And, and, and now, in time, and, this was recognized by, by the proper person in, in position. And then it was... It or, was or God caused these people to recognize and elevate. Absolutely. Him. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was, and then he, when he was given that that offer, as it were, he, he didn't turn it down. He right. Was, and he had everything he had been doing up to that point had prepared him, and he and he acknowledged Hashem in it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we see the humility is there, but turning down the jobs was not a necessity, nor was it a bad thing. And in fact, he makes it clear, hey, doesn't matter what you did, God caused this to happen. For your good and to save all these people, Gregor. Well, that good job. I, that's actually not the right example in the book because he actually uses Joseph as like the the opposite example of that and says he died for all his brothers because of oh, his position of authority. Yeah, he died so, before him. Yeah, because right. he had a position of authority. So he was actually not the example of humility at all. He, he, the list that he gave was Abraham, Moses, Aaron, and David. Right. Were like the ones that demonstrated this quality best. Right, you're right. And he said Joseph died before all his brothers because, because he had a position, position of authority. Yeah. But again, it goes back to the thing that it's not the authority that's bad, it's what the authority may do. Well, I you. guess, but I feel like he actually argues that that's, that's, that's inevitable. What is? That if you have a position of authority, you will not be humble, and therefore you will suffer. I, King David, I can't I disagree with him. Look what happened to Solomon. Power corrupts. I agree. I mean, it tends to. So. Yeah, you know. This kind of, I, I feel like it's similar to like Paul's argument against marriage. You know, he's like, ah, if you have to, you know, and it's it's similar in that or Paul's, Being Paul's a point was the same. This is going to be if you get married, you're going to have to care so much about someone else it's that it will distract you. you from your service to Hashem. Yeah. and that's his argument in regard to authority at all. Is yeah. that man, this is really going to be hard to keep the course and, yeah. and stay But focused. again, that's consistent with the rest of his book, right? The rest of his book, I think, from chapter one on, makes it clear. If you want to get ahead and be the bee's knees in this world, you will never and cannot be a, a, a tzaddik, a, a chassid, a ked, guy right you can't do it it cannot happen you've got to choose to forsake the world and move in the direction to be the Hasid and he makes it clear it's, hey it's not for everybody it's okay if if you don't feel led to do that not everybody can or will do this and he, that's okay but you can't do both yes this is tough for me. Yeah, I know. 
you're a go-getter. You want to move ahead. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I, again, what do you reflect? What do your people see? If you were to drop dead of a carnage like Joe almost did this weekend, would your employees, the folks, what do you got, 10, 15 people under you, would they be lamenting the fact that the greatest guy they've ever worked for has passed away? Or what? Would they just go, I want that job. One, yeah, there's one one guy out of the way. Let me see if uh, by two o'clock we might get it. Yeah, is there a sensitivity? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> What's the protocol? How long do I need to stay at this funeral? Yeah, yeah, you know that's that's what it is. And I guess I just have a hard time. With, I mean, I guess I understand that with power comes corruption, but there have been leaders who have been great leaders who have been humble got there for a reason, always gave those under them the credit because it's never the manager. Manager always takes credit whenever there's an issue, like whenever something goes wrong, and don't always gives the honor to those who have completed it when it's good. So, I don't think the question is whether or not godly men can be leaders or godly men can be great leaders. I mean, one of the most humble men we ever had as president was President Reagan. Godly, humble man. No question about it. It wasn't a Hasid. And that's what this is about. Okay. And if we can't, if we, if, we, if we make a choice, if we say, I can't do it. And just to that's help, okay. like, what, as I was thinking about this on the way home from work, it's really, most likely, like, this chapter shouldn't necessarily change you and I's momentum or, or like, actions as much as it changes our our like perspective and our, perspective. our yeah and our uh, intention intention that's the biggest deal because if we're if our intention is to get a job or a promotion in order to make more money in order to be recognized by more people in order to be honored publicly to be a in front of the company like all those things then then what he's saying is that's wrong but like what about number one by making more money is that okay <laughs> yeah. well. Well, you are commanded to provide for your family. Right, but I see, I get the issue of pride. I want to be recognized. That That's a major issue. Ego, where you're walking around with your chest puffed out all day long because you are in charge of people. And, and they even talks about your, your posture when you walk. You yeah. Know? Well, that, that's actually, I, I could not, I, I didn't think very much about the money part until now. And I would like to get any, everyone else's thoughts about that. Like for instance, depends now, on your intentions for the money. Are you just only out for material things, or are you? Do you want to be a player, or do you want to provide for your family? Well, and here's here's a question. Answer your grand uh, and I would actually really like an answer to this: Is asking for a raise basically asking for a form of honor? Because one of his points is about honor, not not desiring honor. But that's that's just a question that I, I would like to know. Are you asking it because you feel you deserve it, or because you're? You feel you've brought the value that is uh, that's worth. Well, but isn't that the definition of like wanting honor is to feel like you deserved it? No, honor is for if I if I'm doing it in a prideful manner, I'm so like I'm worth a hundred grand. Or if you're doing it, I made your company X amount of money. So when the natural return be, like Jim Rohn always says, to bring value to a company, you'll, you'll make more money when you bring value to a company, the, which is an the, excellent perspective. The scriptures and clear that's what I've been. that a workman is worthy of his hire. And it's an unjust, I believe, that the scripture teaches it's an unjust boss who withhold wages or doesn't pay him 
right. his proper wage. So I don't have any problem with the man walking in and saying, I think you need to give me a raise. But if you're okay. asking for okay. a raise every month, that's consistently they say, you haven't met performance. <laughs> and then you come back in there, I think, I've, I'm, I think I'm ready for a raise. It's that person who continues to ask for that. I, hit, I, hit, the, I hit the calendar date. I must right. be ready for a raise. raise they, yeah. they generally end up having that sense of... Um, Entitlement? Yes, exactly. Entitlement. Yeah, that's dangerous. That makes sense. The question I was asking, because this is actually, that has something niggling in the back no, of my mind um, about this question actually niggling? for a little while. Because there's that's, a. There's a where's my phone? Define niggling. There's a. I want some ginkgo biloba and some niggling, in, please. In, uh, in Luke chapter 3, John Yochanan is talking to soldiers. And they come to him and they're asking him about repentance. Like, how do we repent? And his response is very interesting. In chapter 3, verse 14, he says, He said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force. Okay, no stealing. I think we're good on that one. Or accuse anyone falsely. I think we should hopefully be good on that one. And be content with your wages. And so the question that I had about that is it does kind of tie in here. And it, it, going back to what Greg was asking, was like, is it showing a lack of contentment, a lack of emunah, to ask for more from a, from a human, not from God, but from a person. I don't know the answer. All I know is that we can't take that story out of the context in which Roman soldiers were living. And if we know that context, it should lend some color. Did I make you before? No, I, I don't, I don't Cause slight but persistence. Persistent Can annoyance, or discomfort, or anxiety. That's what he's got. The back of his head is <laughs> constant annoying. Yeah. 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 Good job. Well, the idea is, uh, you kind of touched on, our, on your with your very last comment there. It's it's the idea that if we have faith, uh, the way um, Rabbi Shalom Arush talks about in the Garden of Eminah, which most of us have read, it's okay if someone's doing something bad to you. You know, if someone's beating you with a stick, you don't plead to the stick. Okay, you plead to the the wielder of the stick. In this case, if you want something good to happen, you don't talk to the person who's going to make that happen. You talk to Hashem. It's it's the stick goes both ways. It could be a good stick or a bad stick in this case. I'm just saying that it. And this is where I've been trying to do a lot of work in my own my own life. It's if I'm really scrupulous with with my um, with my my finances, and I can say. Okay, I want to be able to. Um, Hashem revealed to me this this amazing um, tzedakah cause. Okay, well, but it's not in the budget. It's like Hashem um, provide me another way to um, you know be able to give more. You know, and, and you know it's. In every single thing, analyzing the intentions. Yeah, you, yeah, we can keep saying, yeah, provide for family, provide for family. Yeah, that's great, but that kind of goes without saying. You know, that's you know, that's that's sort of bare minimum for for guys like us. We 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 know we have to provide for families, okay? But it's it's above and beyond that. That you know, do we want to be meeting just the bare minimum? It's like, well, you know, or what? What were we, again, created to do? We use Peter's example. It's like, okay, if I'm great at making money, then you know what? 
I've got a responsibility to do something with that, not just had my bank account and and um, you know go up, you know buy a lot a, a yacht and do luxurious things. There's there's a responsibility that comes with those things. Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, you know and it's uh, you know when you have tight finances, it's it really makes you analyze your motiv motivations behind things, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things for which I've been very, very grateful. Mm -hmm. Peter? Yeah. What are your thoughts? He said absolutely. Very, very de determinedly. I, 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 I feel like... He's independently wealthy, so he doesn't really have any... <laughs> 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 I have a different perspective on wealth and business and trust and stuff like that. That's true. Is it different from Ramchal, or is it different I mean, from everybody sitting on the couches? It's different from at least people there. That's true. Oh, the riffraff you're stuck with tonight. And stuff. I don't know. It just seems, uh, I'm just trying to wrap my, uh, my, my words around my thoughts, you know? We'll give you time. <laughs> uh, Sounds like you're deferring. It seems, it seems like a lot of these uh, dreams of grandeur and stuff are ill-founded at their root. Uh, and the desire for a raise or money or a better position, it feels to me like um, a miss or a distortion of what, we've, what we're here for. Um, in this world, and um, a lot of phrasing gets thrown around a lot, like Johnny was saying, was that we have to provide for our families. But everyone's here's families are all being fed and clothed and sheltered, which is providing for your family. So that's no longer on the board. So the reason for for any of of this, any of the things that are brought brought up, which I think has been promotions and raises and places of leadership, I still question their motive. And it, like I said, it sounds to me like, like why are you, why are you even on this, in this body, on this earth? Is it to get a better job? You know, is it to, um, to make some more money so that your family can be more comfortable? Like, is that the point of, of this life? Because you spend so much time trying to do that. In Judaism, we believe that your job is just a vessel. Like Hashem just gives you a job, any job, to give just you a vessel to give you the money that you're supposed to get. Um, and so you just have to make sure your vessel doesn't have any holes in it, like you don't deal dishonestly. You never go. And so, if it's just a vessel, like what are you doing going around looking for a bigger vessel? Like, is that the point of life? Get a bigger vessel. So, this is a perfect example, I think, where Peter's attitude is one who has decided to jettison the world and focus on drawing close to Hashem. With purity, that truly is what he wants. So, the whole material stuff is an afterthought because. If you have true emunah, then God will provide for your family if you work. 
you must work. So you go out and work, and God will provide for your family, and he will provide what he decided he will provide for your family. So the corporate ladder running up there and fighting and clawing and all that never even enters his mind. He sees it as nothing but a distraction. I'm not saying that I'm there. I am proud to say he's there. But this book made it clear even before we got to the middle. Ramkal was making it clear. This is not for everyone. Not everyone can or will do this. Even be it Sadiq. The upright man, which is what I've been calling this Sadiq class, incorrectly. I've been calling this class the Sadiq class rather than the upright class. Because that's what we are. We're upright men. The list he gives us in that sitter is in order. It's the upright man first, and then the tzaddik, which is now halfway through the book and doing stuff I haven't even dreamed of, and then after that, the pious man, and after that, the holy man. Mm. You cannot walk that ladder unless at some point you decide, I can't focus on spending my time in this. But it's still for everybody, though. Just not like to get crazy, but still just the basic idea of you're still going to, at some point, you're going to have to struggle with your life here on Earth. Absolutely. And, we're gonna, and, and every man in the group, I'm sure, is going to try and draw close to Hashem right. to the best of his ability and desire. And I believe that the desire for many men is overshadowed by the desire to have to give their wife luxurious comforts. Sheep will always need a shepherd. As we were talking about this, it seemed like um, Jacob came to mind because this was the first year that I had read the sage's commentary in what he asks God in his prayer. Mm-hmm. It was just the bare minimum. He just asked for bread and shelter and that you know God mm-hmm. would go with him. Bring me back to the land. Yeah, yeah. And, and the sages are like, see, this is what a righteous man does. He only prays for the bare essentials. But then yet, we know that Jacob was extremely wealthy, and a lot of it, based on what we know from the narrative of Scripture, was due to his efforts in clever ways of breeding and like his oh, shepherding and, and, and Hashem's hand and, and of making course, all Hashem's that come hand together. And blessing in, but he was so skilled at what he did. Like he obviously he was good at what he did, and God like used that to bless him incredibly because that's what he was blessed with was all of the flocks and everything. Yeah. So I don't I think he's like, saying that you can't make money. No, I know, but I just I that to me is just such a perfect balance because it's like Jacob's desire was just to have his basic needs met. That was like his desire from God. But then that didn't mean that he he withheld, you know, or or that he put pulled back on the throttle at all on his efforts because he was still extremely skilled and God blessed him through that. So I feel like that to me helps it helps me on a practical level just understand like just always, regardless of whether I do get a raise or whether I get anything from work outside of just my bare essentials, that I should just always be content. You know, like even within the having initiative and, and having drive, just like always making sure that you're content because Hashem is providing for all of our basic needs. Paul told the Galatian church, or the Galatian assembly, I guess, that godliness and contentment 
was great game. Mm. Final comments. Good comments, huh? Rebbe Menachem Lindel Schneerson, he refused to take more than a teacher's salary, even though he was like one of the greatest Torah scholars and sages of, of the recent, in, of the last century. And so he, he made a point of saying, I'm not gonna take more than whatever, like 30 grand a year, just in that. Because he was like, you know, if I need anything else, Hashem will provide. And and he was always the one giving out dollar bills. Dollar bills. I've never thought I'd hear that in Rebbe Schneerson. <laughs> What'd you say? I'm glad I didn't hear it. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> they were saying that Russia. Uh, the um in the uh, one of the things I thought that I thought was really funny is that just real quickly on this that I that I like in connecting to something Yeshua had said. Um, in fact, it was funny because it was almost like a quote. As far as one's manner of sitting is concerned, a person should see to it that his place is among the lowly and not among the high. And then it says. I actually thought he was going to be going through with your legs spread and slouching right, in the couch. And then he goes through this thing where, where picking, the, picking the low spot. He said along the same lines, our sages of blessed memory said in Vaikira, Vaikira, Rabbah, 1-5, withdraw two or three levels from your place. So they will say to you, come forward, rather than go forward and be told, get back. And I thought that was so funny because that's almost exactly what and Yeshua says. He yeah, says, sit at the, the, the foot. So the, get the, the host will come and say, you're not supposed to sit there. Come up here. Rather than sit up at the front and him go, yeah, this guy is worth more than you and the only room we have left is at the bottom, so I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. One has to question if the master was teaching Musar that he had learned all along. Yes. So I have like a request. Can we talk about humility again next week? Because I feel like we didn't get very deep into it. Yeah, that was really surface level conversation. I mean, I thought we very, it was very intense, but it was like, it, was it focused like on like one element. Yeah, we did the like, practical. There were like 25 pages more we haven't covered yet, so. All right, so we will uh, certainly. I'll second that recommendation. Certainly finish the book so that we can move forward should we finish our discussion of humility. Good stuff. All right. Our, do we have um, just enough moments where we can. Uh, Pray Ma'ariv together since we have a minion. Uh, we need to. Uh, do we, we have to study part of the oral Torah for a minute? We already quoted it, didn't we? Well, I don't think that's this anymore. But that's only to do the rabbis' Kaddish, which, right. which is not part of the. Uh, yeah. We can just do the Ma'ariv. But are we not? We quoted for the Talmud a couple of times, isn't it? Yeah, once. We quoted it about. Okay. May it be your will. Scratch that. Yep. I thank you, Adonai, my God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers, for we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run. We run to the life of the world to come. And they run to the top of the corporate ladder. No, it doesn't say that. I'm sorry. It, we run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, in you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction, men of bloodshed and deceit, 
shall not live out half their days, but as for us, we will trust in you. Amen.